Hello and welcome back to the Poolside Pass podcast. This is episode five of series four. Thank you to all the listeners that have tuned in to episodes one, two, and three so far this series. We've had some fantastic discussions with Kevin Pickard from the Rogue Monkey, Rick Hall talking about uh, his technical models and his racing strokes, um, Russ Barber talking about creating performance environments, and most recently uh, we spoke to Sean Barmer about his experiences in coaching um, and his his perspective on on, on developing young international swimmers uh, like he has done with Luke Greenbank, uh, Ed Baxter. And, and many others over the years. Uh, if you like those episodes, make sure you drop us uh, some feedback uh, on social media. We're at the Poolside Pass on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. On today's show, we're going to be speaking to Andy Manley, who is the Director of Swimming at Loughborough University. Um, but prior to that, has held roles uh, out in Canada, but also at Deventio XL and, and Swindon Dolphins, where, you know, throughout his career, he's worked with senior international swimmers, junior international swimmers, age group swimmers. So really, Andy has been working across uh, the, the, the whole spectrum of, of coaching uh, in his career to date. So it's going to be an interesting discussion with Andy, picking out some some real key key points on development of athletes, but also preparation of athletes uh, in going into going into a major games. Um, before we get into the interview, I just want to apologise um, in advance. Some of the sound during the interview is a little bit fuzzy. It's the joys of recording uh, over Zoom with uh, Wi-Fi that maybe keeps dropping out every now and again, uh, but hopefully you can still uh, get out all the great information and discussion that that, that that goes on within this interview. Okay, so I think it's about time I introduce Andy to the show. Andy Manley, welcome. How are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. So why don't we start with just getting a little bit of your background within swimming and how you got into coaching and your kind of career to date, shall we say? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I, I was to say, like an, an average swimmer, I guess I would describe myself. Um, I enjoyed every aspect of my, of my swimming. Um, absolutely. I swam at Loughborough. Um, I was a member of the group. So I'm under Mike Perrybrune and then Ian Armiger. Uh, and, and loved every moment of it, not just the competing, but just being part of that uh, team and the camaraderie within training. But in terms of results, I was one of the uh, lower-achieving athletes, per se, in the, in, in the top group. But I guess at that point at Loughborough, swimming and studying there gave me the, the love for coaching. Um, and that kind of grew throughout my time there. I did my degree and then my master's degree. And it was during the master's that I kind of figured out that coaching was what I wanted to do. Um, and then I guess I was kind of right place, right time. A job came up just as I was graduating uh, back down close to where my folks live uh, in Swindon. And, and the opportunity just presented itself to take over a club called Swindon Dolphin as a, as a head coach. And that really gave me that grounding in coaching at a, at a club level. Every aspect that I was having to kind of oversee from learn to swim all the way through to master's swim in. Um, and I had a really good experience there. So I was there for, for close to seven years. Then was kind of getting that bug a little bit more for, for the performance at the more at the top end, let's say, you know, the the national level, I guess, was what at the time that was most relevant. Um, and a job came up at Deventio XL, so up in Derbyshire, the, uh, a coach I know very well, good friend Mark Rose, was moving on to, to a new opportunity. Uh, and so I applied for that job and, and fortunately was given that. Um, and so moved up to Derbyshire in 2009, where I uh, had an amazing experience. So again, similar length of time to Swindon, uh, just over six years. 
that worked with some amazing people, um, developed some, some fantastic athletes that are really doing a, an amazing job at international level now. And then kind of out of the blue, um, an opportunity came up to move overseas uh, to Canada, um, which was a very difficult decision, I'd say, but one that I'm glad I did. Now, that ended up only being for one year um, for various reasons. Um, but something that I think was a was an amazing opportunity to do, and, and something that you know, for coaches that uh, the opportunity presents itself, or if the, the timing's right, I think it's something that a lot of people should consider, like working or coaching overseas for, for a period of time. And then I find myself in the position I'm now, which which I guess is is always been the dream job back at Loughborough. So I've kind of come full circle in a way that came here to study in 1995 as this 18-year-old who didn't know a lot at all. Um, and now I find myself in the position where I'm director of swimming at Loughborough University in a, as, as I say, kind of my dream job. Perfect. So let's just talk a little bit now about like your dream job now, uh, what, what you get up to within that. So obviously um, part of the performance swimming uh, set up in, in Loughborough, what is performance swimming to, to you? Oh, that's a good question. So... The way I look at it right at Loughborough is we're, we're working with the, the senior end. So the youngest person on our team is 18 through the people that are 25 years old. But for, for the majority of these guys, so I'd say over 90% of the team, this is probably where their swimming career will end. So in terms of what is performance swimming and performance coaching, I guess what we're trying to look at at this point is how do we achieve those best possible results? Whereas when I was coaching at an age group and youth level, I guess it was more about, yes, we're trying to swim well and get success, but it was more about laying the foundations and, and developing the athlete to enable them to become the best senior swimmers. Whereas now, you know, we're working with people that are at that final part of their journey, you know, not for everyone, but for a lot of them, you know, so it's like, right, how do we maximize uh, your competitive success? And for some, they are still on that development pathway. For some, it is, it's a very different route. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. But for me, that performance swimming, performance coaching is that how do we now train and develop you to maximise your competitive results right now? So you mentioned the performance coaching. Do you think uh, performance coaching can ever, be, can ever be independent from that definition of performance swimming? in terms of getting the best possible result? No, I mean, in terms of performance coaching, I guess we never really call it that. I mean, we, we're always a bit unsure here about what to label our squads because you don't want to pigeonhole people in a certain... Uh, so, you know, so we, we call our group, you know, like we have a high-performance squad and a, and a performance development squad. So even though they're 18+, plus, we, they're still developing as well. But to answer your question, I don't think performance coaching is any different from coaching ultimately you're working with people you know you're working with human beings it's about that those things don't really change all right the, the athletes might be at different stages of their of their you know competitive pathway but in terms of coaching it you know you're just coaching a person to be the best they can be now your your tactics and your strategy to do that might alter differently but i probably wouldn't say that i, I differentiate um, performance coaching from from whether you're a coach at uh, an age group or a club level or a you know a youth level. But for me, coaching is coaching. You you just got to draw on different skills and uh, and tactics to get the best out of the people you're working with. 
Perfect. So obviously, you know, Loughborough is famous as as a university and, you know, particularly to do with to do with sport and, you know, even more particularly with the swimming, you know, some fantastic athletes have, have trained at that pool, have, have come out of that pool in terms of the university, but also now that the, the national centres as well. Um, from, you know, just my experience of, of being around swimming for, for a while, Loughborough seems to have, especially the university side of things, you know, they seem to be, you know, it's fast swimming. It's all about fast swimming. That seems to be kind of the, the, the slogan at Loughborough. How have you continued kind of that legacy that, that Ian Armiger left in terms of that kind of fast swimming? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that fast swimming and that big smiley face has, has been a big part of the, the Loughborough programme, you know, since I was a part of the team, you know, in the late 90s. And so to, to have that responsibility now to, to lead that programme is a massive honour. I'd say Ian Armiger, amongst the whole a range of people has had a massive impact on me as a coach and I guess a lot of what I would have done as an athlete working with Ian has, has kind of uh, crossed over into to me. One of the first things I did you know when I was given the role as director of swimming is to kind of rehire Ian in a coaching consultant type capacity so he is a, a massive source of um, inspiration and advice for me so you know when COVID's not around, you know, although we're seeing each other through the week, we make sure at least once a month we, we meet up away from the pool. You know, it might be grabbing a beer and a pizza, but we'll have a few hours where we just um, crash things out. You know, he's there to listen to any challenges I might have. But in terms of continuing that legacy, like you talked about, yeah, it's the, the motto that kind of stuck with me when I was part of the team and we try to instill now is, is at Loughborough is to, to swim fast, gain a prestigious degree and enjoy the experience. And I think those three things are, are fundamental to what we're trying to do. And, and as you say, Loughborough is a hotbed for, for swimming. The national centres are here and, and Dave and Mel and Andy are doing an amazing job there. You know, and I think you know, we're really proud of what we're achieving, but we do have different remits. You know, they're, they're a national governing body. They're judged on how many medals they win at Worlds and Olympics. Yes, that's really important to us. But we're also really proud to be the biggest senior program in Great Britain. So if you take into account all our groups, we're just short of 100 swimmers, 100 senior swimmers on a team. And certain national championships, you know, we'll go to those events with, you know, 40, 50 plus athletes. That's something to be really proud of. And so in my eyes, that's that legacy of, of what Ian Armiger and then before Ian, that Mike Peregrine set up, which is about having that the biggest and best senior program in Great Britain. And then that's the legacy. And that's what we're proud to do, that everyone's important to achieving that success. Brilliant. So um, just prior to, to you then taking up that role in Loughborough, you spent, uh, spent some time kind of working out, out in Canada. Um, let's talk a little bit about that experience. What did you learn from being out there and how has it informed perhaps the way, the way you're, you're working as a coach now? Yeah, so so like I touched on earlier, like this opportunity came up, and I'm I'm massively grateful to Swim Ontario for giving me that chance and, and sort of taking a a little bit of a risk with me that you know I was an overseas coach and, and, and brought me in. And I think if things hadn't turned out slightly different, I think um, I, I'd certainly still be there now because I think it was an amazing opportunity, it's an amazing job, and and what's happening in around that high performance centre in, in Toronto with Ben Sitley is just incredible. In terms of what I learned, I mean, it was a real eye-opener. I mean, just the, 
geographic size of of Canada and and, and Ontario, you know, itself was. Although I didn't go in, you know, I, I realised that before I went. But just once you arrive, and then my remit was like, you know, a youth academy for for some Ontario. Well, Ontario in its own, in terms of size, is way way bigger than Britain. <laughs> and I, my remit is to have an impact with the best youth swimmers across the whole province. And I think the way it was already set up, um, and the things we brought in when I was there, I think we did a a, a good job with it. You've got to imagine that trying to hold camps for these kids, some of them, it, you know, they live, you know, if you were to drive it, they live over 24 hours away, you know, so it's various flights to get in. It, it wasn't easy in that respect. Um, other things I learned, I think that the biggest driver for, for club programs there is to try and get, and again, this isn't um, going to be derogatory to any coaches out there, but this is my interpretation of what I saw is that they're trying to get kids very, very fast um, by the time they're sort of 16, 17, so that they get a, a scholarship offer to a, you know, an American university. That's the traditional path, you know, that they'll, they'll be swimming really quick at 16, 17. They'll get a, a full ride offer to the US. And that's kind of the pathway that a lot of swimmers take. And again, so my interpretation of that is that Perhaps some of the work they're doing at a young age, they're perhaps over racing a little bit more because of the demands of what they're trying to achieve. And then I guess another aspect of that, I felt like clubs, or some of the clubs I saw are often run a lot more as, as businesses than, than we see in the UK. And that's not to say that it's all about profit, but you know it costs a lot of money for kids to swim in programs out there. Um, you know, they're all run by boards rather than you know, committees. Now, again, there are some similarities. You know, we call them committees here in the UK. There's you know, a board out there, but coaches are hired and fired a lot more rapidly than they are over here. Um, and kids, because the way I explained that are trying to swim as quick as they can early, kids will move clubs quite frequently. Unless they're living in the middle of nowhere, you know, in like the north of the province, the ones that are around, you know, Toronto itself and, and the surrounding areas, kids will transfer and move clubs a lot more quickly than they do here because they have a bad season at like 14, 15 and they want to move across to kind of say, well, you know, I need to swim quick at 16, 17 if I'm going to be recruited on a full scholarship. And so they're quick to jump ship and, and move around. So they were kind of some of my early observations. Um, I do think there's some fantastic coaches out there. As I say, I think Swim Ontario is run by an amazing group of people. Uh, and if it hadn't been for how things had kind of worked out, both in terms of the job opportunity and, and the family thing, um, then, you know, I think I'd still be there now and, and really enjoying life out there in Toronto. Great. So kind of even, even before that, I think, um, you know, when I when I first became aware of of, of you, you were at, um, at Deventio um, coaching there. I think you came over to the East region once and did a, did a kind of a breaststroke clinic thing. And uh, I remember sitting there thinking, oh, this guy's talking a lot of sense about breaststroke. And, you know, I still use a lot of, a lot of that, that stuff today with, with the swimmers that, that, that I work with. Um, so when, when you was at Deventio, you know, you coached the likes of uh, Molly Renshaw and Abby Wood, who are now, you know, on you know, having a, a real kind of, kind of purple patch on well just recently that the European stage but hopefully in, in a few months time out on on the world stage what did you do at kind of a, an age group youth level with them to kind of help lay the foundations towards where they are now 
Okay, yeah. So, as you say, like it's it's an absolute pleasure to see the success they're having. Um, so, you know, just even just last week at Europeans, you know, Molly, Abby, and Sarah Vasey as well is, is doing an incredible job uh, and is swimming so fast and has made her first uh, you know, Olympic team. So it's, it's a pleasure to see them carrying that through. I'd, I'd like to be able to take all the credit and say, you know, I've got some magic formula to come in fast breaststroke, but, but I don't. I think some of that was, you know, that we had we had a group of people that were um, that had role models within the program. So even the likes of, of Molly, who's probably the you know uh, older of the, that group, was just talked about. We had people above us. So we had a guy called Chris Steeples who swam with us at the time. Amazing uh, work ethic. He made a European Juniors, swam for Great Britain a, a few times. They always had someone to look up to. So what I tried to do was carry on the good work Mark Rose had done, and not just about having some magic formula to swim breaststroke, but to kind of lay those foundations about what being uh, like a high-performing swimmer is all about. So we use the phrase like, um, you know, acting like you're a world-class swimmer before you become a world-class swimmer. So just in terms of the simple things, you know, so like being punctual uh, for the for, for sessions in order to do your pre-pull you know, and your mobility before you get in so you're not getting injured. You know, stretching after sessions, you know, even at that, that young age, you know, we'd finish a session at, you know, say 6.30 p.m., 7 p.m. Everyone would stay on poolside, you know, they'd have mats. The team captains would leave just a 20-minute stretch. You know, the habits around refueling, hydration, you know, what to eat, you know, what to do at the right times. Simple stuff like swimming down at competitions that go to a national championship and you see a wide range of people that some will use the swim down as a chance to sit and just debrief with their friends. They debrief, you know, it's not even that, uh, that formal. But you know what I mean? And we tried to instill habits in them that they would use later in life. So that was, I guess, one of the things. Yes, I did probably spend more time focusing on breaststroke because I think at one point, Jamie, we had seven swimmers in the program that were swimming for Great Britain at, at some level, whether that was European Youth Olympics, European Juniors or, or senior level. And so they all had that measure of success. Yeah. And the ones who weren't quite there wanted that. So I remember Abby Wood coming into our program at like 11 years old. And straight away, she probably had four or five others in the program that were swimming, if not internationally, that they were winning medals at, at breaststroke. And so in her head, it's probably like, well, I want to do that too. And so she had somebody to aspire to. And so I think it was that kind of vibe of like success breeds success. But I do think, you know, in terms of laying the foundations, we, you know, we try to instill those behaviors, I guess, at a young age in terms of showing them what was possible. And, and that it wasn't all about doing more meters in the pool or swimming harder in the pool, but there were other ways of achieving that too. I'm not saying we didn't work hard, but it was all about um, trying to lay those behavioral foundations about what it took to become elite further down the line. You, you mentioned there you had, you know, you had a seven, uh, at one point you had about seven breaststrokers that were either competing for, for Great Britain on junior or, or a senior level. Did you ever find yourself kind of being almost just known as our oh, Andy Manley is a great breaststroke coach. Did you ever did that did that ever frustrate you or was it was it almost a compliment as well? Oh that's a good question. I, I guess it's a bit of both. So I'm kind of sitting on the fence with this answer a bit. It, it it was a it was a real nice compliment. And you're right, you know, so like I came down to do that conference 
you know, like you said, you came to in the East region. And I was often asked to talk about it at conferences or clubs. And and so it is flattering. And what it did is it gave me some amazing opportunities. So until I'd come to Davencio, I'd never coached on a, on a Great Britain team. Uh, and all of a sudden, I was being invited on Swim England camps and um, Great Britain camps and competitions. And so it, it opened the door for me. So I'm really grateful for that. On the other hand, um, I have this chat a lot with, with Ian Hume, who's, who's the head coach here at Loughborough and works closely with me with the high performance group. And we say, you know, you know, we, we feel we can coach any event. We're not, we're not trying to say, well, we can only coach breaststroke or we can only coach sprint or we can only coach open water. We, we're working with people. And that's what you're coaching, uh, a person. And then from that, you've got to then look at, well, what do they need to do? So, you know, like at the time, say with like Molly, it was like, right, how do we get her to swim 225 to swim to breaststroke, you know, when she was 15, 16. But it wasn't just looking at, right, well, Molly, you are a 200 breaststroke. It's Molly Renshaw, the person. And, and what does she need to develop to, to get better? So to answer your question, it, it, it's a bit of both. It was very flattering, but also it was frustrating that, you know, I felt, well, well I can do more than just coach breaststroke. Yes, it fast-tracked my learning. You know, so I learned loads from other coaches. I remember at the time, like, uh, going on a British um, camp where John Rudd was leading it because he'd had a success with Ruta, where she'd won the, the Olympics in 2012. Learned loads from him. Learned loads from other people. But also, we had other guys swimming great in the program. You know, we had a 50-freestyle guy called um, Kane Haggett who went on to swim for the GB at the US Open meet. We had a, a kid called Ben Goodall who swam European Junior Open Water. So, yes, we had that nucleus of breaststrokers, male and female, but we also had other good things going on too. And, and I, I think, you know, it was, yeah, so it was flattering and frustrating at the same time. <laughs> cool. So you spoke about, um, kind of just, just prior to it, you just spoke about laying kind of those behavioural foundations um, at, at an age group level. How much of it is laying the behavioural foundations and how much of it is, you know, making sure that also they've got technical foundations and conditioning foundations. So yesterday recorded with um, Robin Armayan down at, down at Plymouth, and he said it's a real balancing act. You've got to really balance it out. What, what's your thoughts on laying the foundations? So yes, a, a, absolutely. Look, swimming is, a, swimming is a, a technically driven sport. You know, you can build those physiological uh, you can build the engine there as, as much as you like, but if the, if the technique only allowing you to fulfill, you know, like 80% of your potential, you, you're never going to swim as fast as you want it. So, yes, now, obviously, at an age group and youth level, people are growing at very different rates. And I think that those growth periods can have a devastating effect on somebody's ability to swim fast in a good and bad way, right? So if somebody suddenly shoots up over a summer and, you know, grows and suddenly gets a lot stronger, you know, if they're going in to swim a 50 freestyle, all of a sudden, without doing anything different in training, they're going to swim faster. When you talk specifically about breaststroke, it can be the absolute opposite. So I've seen it happen several times, you know, where, what, you know, through that period of growth, all of a sudden, somebody can just either plateau or, or slow down. And so there's not much you can do about that. But you can keep developing other areas. So the technical parts... So I always looked at breaststroke from an efficiency first point of view, rather than so rather than trying to look at ways to increase propulsion, it was ways right. How can we minimise resistance? 
And that was whether they, you know, specialized on the 100 down to the 50 or that it was 200. It was like, how efficient can we be? And so those technical foundations were, were, were fundamental to everything we did, um, as opposed to trying to, you know, chase games through, you know, building capacity and building power, you know, at all costs. You know, those technical foundations were great. So we, you know, it, it was simple things. And again, the way I look at it now, being in the environment we're now, is how fortunate I am here at Loughborough with the resource we have and the support, the sports science support we have. For a lot of coaches, and the same for me when I was at the event show, largely it's just you with some assistant coaches. And so I was the biomechanist. I was the S&C coach. I was the nutritionist. You know, you're, you're everything. And you're everything in terms of laying foundations. Uh, and you're everything in terms of that skill and technical development. But just basics, Jamie. So, like, you know, I would never settle for poor streamlining or a poor finish on breaststroke, you know, or, you know, just slow round the wall, hand of feet. So it was, it was those skill foundations. Now, that being said, I know the work that now Molly and Abby and Sarah have gone on to do at Loughborough is way in advance of the stuff we were doing at the event show. But I like to think, I'd like to hope that they acknowledged that some of those technical and skill foundations were were developed and learned there and they've just enhanced that since moving on. Do you think that, you know, if a swimmer has more exposure to, you know, doing detailed skill and technical work at a younger age, that when they get to a senior level and they're trying to really kind of hone in on the smaller details, do you think it's probably easier for them to make those smaller changes at a senior level when they've had exposure to you know being really technical at an age group level being really skillful at, uh, at an age group level as well yeah 100 percent. yeah totally agree with, with with that now that doesn't mean they can't still work at a, an age group level so this is a conversation i've had with lots of coaches before that you know you know a lot of clubs hey we might only have five sessions a week you know five one hour sessions if all we do is technical work you know, uh, you know, when are we going to do any any training? Let's say, you know, but it's like it's about being smart as a coach to incorporate, that. and you can do both at the same time. All right, if it's if you're trying to teach technique, all right, I, I get it, and if it's drills, it's got to be done slowly. But certain aspects, you know, again, if we go back to breaststroke and the importance of those pullouts, you know, especially you know, especially short course, you know, it's huge. You can be continually working on challenging aspects of of uh, developing the pullout whilst you're putting it within aerobic or capacity building type swimming. So they don't have to be, you know, they don't have to be separate things. They can work together. If, if as a coach, you're smart about how you do that. You know, so it might even be they're doing a freestyle aerobic set, you know, you know, just something simple, five 200s freestyle. But off, you know, the fourth and the eighth 25, you might ask them to do a breaststroke pullout where they're focusing on the tightest line and the maximum distance they can get on that pullout. So there's, Skill work within aerobic work. And so that's often my answer when, you know, club coaches ask me about things like that. But don't think they have to be standalone. I think they can work together. And in, in the role now with the performance summons that you work with at Loughborough, do you do a lot of, obviously they need, you know, they need that kind of bigger periodization. They need all that, that physiological stuff. Do you still, you know, take time out within the week to to make sure they're developing technically there as well? Yeah, absolutely. And again, like I touched on earlier, we're very fortunate both with the support staff we've got and the, the environment we coach in, so the camera system we've got there and the 
you know, the technology we've got to do that. So we'll have certain sessions or parts of sessions in the week where that's all we're doing. So they're on the camera system and it's just, you know, there's no training element to it. So it's just skill and technical work. And then there's elements in the week where we're incorporating that back into the, you know, the, the normal training session, if you like. So the focus is on turns, but it's within the set we're doing. And then, as you say, there's, there's times where we've got to get our head down and we've got to do some work, you know, because, yes, you know, at this age, you know, we're, we're chasing a performance too. I say chasing, that's probably the wrong word, but we're, you know, we're working towards a, a high-performance outcome. But, yes, you know, we've, we've, we've had an amazing recruitment year this year at Loughborough, um, amazing, both in terms of some of the British athletes that come in and internationally. But, but you'd be amazed that some of these athletes that are well into their 20s, but the amount of changes we're still making technically, skillfully to what they're doing, and they're really reaping the rewards from it, you know. So, and they're, they're open to change, uh, they're able to change as well. Because sometimes the older you get, if you've not learned that skill or technique, it's harder to do, um, you know. So, um, it, it's, it's not the easiest thing then to change something or bring something new in, but they're, they're open to it and they're able to do that. So, I'd say to answer your question, it. it, it it flows through the week really well, you know, so we, we have aspects where, you know, we're not concerned at all about the training element, but it's like we've got, to, we've got to get this turn locked in, you know, in the best possible way. And, and when you're doing that, that work, do you prefer to do kind of your technical development work when the summers are fresh, kind of like early in the week or at the start of a session? Or would you do it, you know, after they've done some hard work in terms of resetting a few things? It's a bit of both. It varies through the cycle. So there'll be points where, um, yeah, you know, so like this week, for instance, you know, we had a, we had a really tough block uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning. Now, we're, we're lucky, right? We don't, we don't have to swim at the moment at 5.30 in the morning because trying to get somebody's brain really functioning and ready to make changes at 5.30 is not as easy. But at 10 a.m., it's a lot easier to do that. So we followed up the Monday night with a, with a technical piece on the Tuesday morning, but without intensity. But we also would do it, Jamie, where we, we make the, the technical and the filming session part of the key set. So they, would, they might stick their race suit on and we would do, let's say, a 30-minute block of work with all the camera system around it and with our, you know, our biomechanist there to analyze it at, at race speed. So it, it forms a bit of both because. There are times in the week where if they have worked really hard, just, you want to have a session where they are able to just switch off. It's pure recovery. Because um, if you're asking them to do fast turns and fast starts, that's, that's still quite demanding. It does still take a toll. Even if it's, you know, it might not be a really hard set of, you know, like six 100s, the best they can go. Yeah. But still doing all these explosive starts does take a toll. And so we're also careful to balance the week that we're not saying, okay, well, this is technical, so it's easy, because it isn't always. So it's about balancing the week, I suppose, and within the periods that, you know, of work and, and regeneration throughout the cycle. Great stuff. So final question of the, the, the main interview before, before we head into, into the summary. I guess throughout your career, you know, starting as a, as a swimmer and then Swindon Dolphin, Deventio, Canada, and now being at Loughborough, you know, you've had the opportunity you've been to be exposed to, you know, certain experiences that have really kind of, like you said, opened doors in in terms of in terms of your learning. 
how have you made sure kind of at, at every step of, of your development, you're kind of always drawing on those past experiences to inform, you know, the actions that, that you're taking in the future? Yeah, I think, I think you learn more sometimes from the things that don't go well than do. Because I think it's, it's very easy if something's gone really well to just assume, well, we've got, we've got everything right there. And so I probably, I probably reflect more on stuff that's, you know, not worked out the way you wanted to or it's backfired to say, you know, so when you find yourself in the position next time, you've, you've learned from that. Now, it might not always be conscious. I think some of those things are just, you know, they're subconscious. You're, you know, the brain's very clever to recognize, oh, hang on a minute, you know, we've dealt with this before. Let's go about it a different way. Um, in, in terms of the actual coaching side of it, I, I think, you, you know, if I look back now at what I was doing in Swindon or even at early points in the venture, my coaching would be totally different. And I think that's crucial as a coach, whether you're coaching in a, in a high-performance environment or a club environment that, you know, you don't just stay the same. Um, but I think, yeah, reflecting on previous experiences and, and looking at what's gone right or wrong. I wouldn't say I ever sit down and think about, you know, the individual things directly, but I think you just build up that, that bank of like experiences as a coach to, to make you better and see that you're see that you're evolving as you move on great so heading into the into into the summary now I always ask uh the guests on on this show kind of their their top three tips on a on a certain topic and today andy we're going to ask you for your top three tips on ensuring coaches can deliver performance coaching okay so I would say the first one links a bit to what we've just talked about there, and that's and that's like as a coach, I think you, you never stop learning. Um, you know, you're always looking to, to to change. You know, change in our sport is is inevitable, and you, as a coach, you've got to keep up with that. And, and you know, if I was coaching the way I coached back in Swindon, I'd be doing a terrible job now. So I think never stop learning. You and, and link to that, I guess, is about risk taking. It's okay to try something different. And if it doesn't work, you, you move on. And, you, and that's another experience, like we've just said there. You, you take a risk. Actually, that didn't work out so well. Therefore, I'm not going to do that again. But learning through, you know, your network of, of, of critical friends or coaches. I've got an amazing network of people that support me. Amazing. I, I find myself so blessed and fortunate to have people that I can call on to help me. And they're always helping me learn and develop. Um, and, I, and I find the best coaches are, are always willing to try new things and learn from learn from each other. So that that I guess would be my first one. Uh, never never stop learning. Um, second one I would say, and again this this flips back to what we said earlier, is about the, the athlete coach relationship is key. That's probably one of my biggest things that I've I've learned that you're coaching a person, a human being, not an event. You're not coaching a 200 breaststroker you're coaching a person um and, and with that the athletes you work with have then got to believe in you and they've got to believe in your program um i think there's a the, there's a famous quote i don't know i don't know who actually said it um but it's like nobody cares what you know until they know you care and i think that's really important so the athletes have got to know that you care about them and about them as people and them as in their athletic journey um, to buy into what you're doing, so I think that relationship is key, and establishing that that really good relationship with your athlete <clears throat> delivers results. 
And then the final one, Jamie, I'd say, um, and, and this has probably become most relevant in my time here at Loughborough, would be about trying to coach athletes to become resilient and independent. You know, so we, we've got to be empowering athletes to make their own decisions, even if that means they mess up sometimes. We've got to give, we've got to almost give them that uh, independence to say, actually, this is what I think I need to do. And if it doesn't work, they'll, they'll learn from it. So, again, other things around that resilience is about, you know, we've got to create pressure because they're sure as hell going to face pressure when they walk out for a, a, an Olympic final or even an Olympic trials final. So can we create pressure in training? Um, can we develop their character, you know, as, as tough individuals to be able to deal with things uh, and allow them, I guess, sometimes to discover things for themselves? So I, I guess that would be my third one that, you know, coaching athletes to become resilient and independent. So they almost don't need us as much. So by the, the end of their journey, we're there, you know, as a partner rather than this coach that's just standing over the side of the poolside telling them what to do. It becomes a partnership. One of the best relationships I've developed over the last few years is with um, someone we've got called Alice Deering, open water swimmer. And she's just as involved in the planning process for her swimming as, as I am. We do it together. Whereas, you know, back when I started coaching, it would have never been that. I'd have sat down here on my Excel spreadsheet written a plan, there you go, that's what we're doing. I like to involve the athletes in, in, in that too because they're, you know, they're intelligent people, they're, you know, they're invested. And I think that that, uh, that resilience and independence in athletes is, is really important, empowering them to let them uh, be part of that process. There's a little bit of waffle there, I apologise for that, but that would be my third one. <laughs> Perfect. Brilliant. Um, Andy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been great just to, to discuss obviously your, your journey as a coach, but then I think there was a real good segment there when we, we got stuck into kind of um, age group coaching and, and getting some of those, those crucial things right. And then, you know, trying to transfer all that, that technical stuff through, through to a senior level. So, you know, for me, there was, there was plenty in there that I've got to go away now and, and unpack and, and make sure that I'm, you know, fully, fully across it all before, before this one goes out. Um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's, it, it's been great chatting to you. Uh, pleasure. Thanks so much, Jamie. So that wraps up episode five of series four of the Poolside Pass podcast. Uh, great to have Andy as a guest on the show talking about his career to date, um, you know, taking risks as a coach, uh, making sure that your relationships with your athletes are, are really operating at, at a high level, um, but also making sure that, you know, you never settle in for, for those poor skills. And I think, you know, the real fundamental thing there that, that stood out to me from, from Andy earlier on in the episode is that performance coaching is coaching and coaching is performance coaching. I think, you know, every coach out there, no matter no matter what level you're coaching at, should be striving to be delivering high performance coaching, okay? Because you can deliver high performance coaching the, to someone that's striving to get county medals or you can deliver high performance coaching to someone that's striving to, to operate Olympic Games. As a coach, you can deliver your performance coaching. Uh, whether that translates into performance swimming or not is is, is another matter. Um, so, so great to have Andy on the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. Um, if you did, let us know. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Poolside Pass. Also, check us out over at our, our website, www.poolsidepass.com. And until next time, take care.